This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, my dear friends. What do you think is important in life? What is your aim in life? I suppose that people have different ideas about this, and everybody sets out in life to achieve different goals. So I've made up a few examples of what um, different people may decide is important for them and what they wish to achieve in life. So my first example is uh, John. His purpose in life is to make as much money as possible. He started his own business and he's extremely ambitious. His life revolves around making his business grow. He invests more and more. He obtains more and more backing from the banks and his empire grows. He's a risk taker and he'll finish up either as a millionaire if all goes to plan or penniless if things go against him. In his mind, the success of his life is measured by how much money he has made and how much material possessions he has. Of course, he's got a large house for his family, he drives a luxury car, and in his mind, his life is complete because of the huge wealth that he has amassed. But his life can end in either of two ways. He'll either end his days in complete luxury, or his life will, his entire life will collapse like a pack of cards as his business empire goes pear-shaped. Well, my second example is uh, Harry. He's a hedonist. He lives life in the pursuit of pleasure. He's got a steady job, but he's not bothered about getting promotion. As long as he's got a few pounds in his back pocket, well, he's not bothered. He wants to go out and have a good time. He's got a favourite football team, and he goes to every match, both home and away. When he goes to the match, he has a couple of drinks, a meat pie, and leaves it as a bet on the outcome of the match. There's the lure of the nightlife. He wants to go out in the evenings and enjoy himself. He usually gets drunk. He has a different girlfriend every week. He tries out the drug scene. He wants to party, party, party. He wants to have a, a good time. Enjoy yourself while you're here, is his motto. Well, his life will perhaps end early as his body is burnt out with the abuse of excesses of alcohol and drugs. Through the torture, his body suffers in his daily life. My third example is Alistair. He's a talented musician. He lives for music. He too has, got, has a steady job, but he spends all his time on his music. He's formed a band, and when they aren't practising their music, they spend every possible opportunity playing at clubs, performing uh, gigs. If only they could make the big time. If only they could have their big break. Well, their opportunity arises and they are offered a recording contract. They make the charts and they are overnight sensations. Alistair measures the success, his success and his popularity with the worlds. Well, who knows how his life will end. He may die a millionaire. He may die penniless. He may have a loving family or his family may have broken up with the pressures that come with being an international celebrity. But success in his mind is measured by how popular his music and his albums are. 
So here we have three examples. They may well be extreme examples, I must admit. But they illustrate the type of things that can happen to a man or a woman in their pursuit of happiness. We, we all have different agendas for our lives. We all have different priorities for what we want out of life. Well, I suppose most people will settle for a happy family life and a comfortable existence. But as shown by our three examples, we have different ways of achieving our aim. So I'd like to introduce you to a character from history. He was a real person who lived some uh, 3,000 years ago. I'm sure we've all heard of King Solomon. He succeeded his father, David, as king of Israel. Well, he had a difficult job to do. Imagine the problems that would beset him as the king of the nation of Israel. Like any monarch, it is anything but an easy task. But here was a man who had everything. In the early part of his reign, uh, we read in 1 Kings 3 that Solomon pleased God because of the burnt offerings that he had offered. And God asked Solomon what he would like. So instead of asking for riches or glory or victory over his enemies, as many would have done, he asked God for a wise, understanding and obedient heart to help him judge and rule over his subjects, the people of Israel. And God granted him this along with riches and glory. And God also added that if Solomon walked in God's ways, he will give him a long life. So here we have a man with everything. He will be renowned for his wisdom. He will be given riches and admiration from other men. And if he did what God told him to do, he will be blessed with a long life. What possibly could go wrong for such a man? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes, which we are considering this afternoon, it gives us an insight into this man who had everything. Uh, and I propose we just pick out the main points of this book, because here we can see straight into Solomon's mind, into how this man thought. So the first thing that might surprise you is found in the very first chapter of the uh, book of Ecclesiastes. Remember that Solomon had everything that life could offer him at that time. He was king. His kingdom was stable. No other power at that time could touch him. So secure was his kingdom. He had riches in abundance and he had wisdom. Nobody could come near him in terms of wisdom and understanding. So we ask the question, well, was he happy? So Ecclesiastes 1, verse 16, we read the following statements. And Solomon says there, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Oh dear, that doesn't sound very good, does it? You would think that if Solomon had so much wisdom, so much understanding, he would be able to avoid unhappiness. Surely, with his wisdom, you would think that he could get round and resolve life problems and life's sticky situations. Remember also that he was king, so whatever decision he made, well, it was final. Nobody could challenge him 
or try to undo what he had decided. And also you would think that with all his wisdom, he would see through anybody who tried to manipulate him by cunning or deceit. But Solomon's verdict is that being exceedingly wise and knowledgeable brings about grief and sorrow. And he uses his favourite expression, it's, it, it occurs many times in this book, all is vanity and grasping for wind. I think it's, very, it's a very descriptive phrase. Vanity means emptiness or nothing. And grasping for the wind. Imagine trying to catch the wind. You can't do it. You can't reach out and grab a handful of air. I suppose it's like we say today, it's a, it's a load of hot air, that's what we say today. Well, in the verses previous to this, in chapter 1, he gives his verdict on the worlds. He says that God has ordained the natural order of things, things like the sun rising every morning and setting at night. He says that weather patterns cannot be changed. The seasons come and go. He says that the world that man has established will not change. Verse 15 says, What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking uh, cannot uh, be numbered. So I'm sure you'll agree that what Solomon, the man with everything, has to say is quite surprising. And having said these things in chapter 1, he then talks about his pursuit of joy and cheerfulness, his his pursuit of pleasure, of, of happiness, by enjoying material things which he had in abundance. So in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Enjoy pleasure. And in verse 3, he seeks to gratify, gratify his flesh with, with wine. Uh, and, and I suppose today many follow his leads. Uh, they drink alcohol in excess in the pursuits of a good time. On Friday and Saturday nights in Halifax Town Centre, you'll see a host of people who have gone out to enjoy themselves. And, and, and they are so drunk they haven't a clue what they're doing. And it's left to the poor police and the poor ambulance service to rescue those who are either just causing trouble or, or just out for a good time. And Solomon says, well, he tried this. He pursued wine, but his verdict was, in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 2, this also is vanity, it's emptiness, it's like grasping for the air, there's nothing in it. So Solomon turns his hand to building works. Uh, Verses 4 to 6 of chapter 2, Solomon says, He made great buildings, he made vineyards, pools and gardens in this pursuit of happiness. And and again, we've seen this in our day. People build large houses, they build palaces in an attempt to obtain the glory of man. Wow, he's got a big house, he must be somebody really important. In verse 7 he declares, He had an abundance of servants. He had the largest flocks. Today's equivalent of an abundance of servants would be a large amount of electrical goods, of labour-saving devices. And today we don't have large flocks, but we have an abundance to eat. We also have a large amount of possessions. There's luxury cars and the like. But yes, Solomon tried this, and he really did have an absolute abundance of everything the world had to offer him at that time. But his verdict verdict in verse 11, again he says it's vanity, it's nothing, it's emptiness, it's grasping for the winds. He says, I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labour which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for winds. 
So then he continues in verse 12, well, what can the man do that sees the king? And the answer, only what he's already done. Solomon would, would die, he would leave all his wealth, his possessions to his successor, who cannot possibly do more than he has, and he'll probably waste it all anyway. His wisdom is seen in verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labour. In other words, it doesn't matter how much money a man has. It's only important that he has enough to live, and he can take satisfaction from his labour, from the work, from his daily toil that he does. He says the pursuit of material goods, well, it leads nowhere. Verse 26 says, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his science. Well, I suppose all this is summed up uh, in chapter 3, which we read as our introduction to this talk. There's a time schedule for every affair under the heaven. God's own works are good, and everything has its time. God has given to mankind work with which to be occupied, and it suffices a man to be content with that work. Man can never completely fathom God's wisdom and purpose. Therefore, the thing for a man to do is to accept the gift of God, to rejoice and to do good, and see good for the hard work he has done. And as we said, we read all this in our introductory reading in the Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So what's Solomon's verdict for these three men, John, Harry and Alistair, to whom we referred at the outset of this talk? He says what they're pursuing in life is vanity, it's like grasping for the wind, it's emptiness, it's nothing. It's much better to be content with what God has given you in life and to enjoy the fruit of your labours, your everyday work. Solomon says material goods or the pursuit of pleasure as a goal in themselves, lead precisely nowhere. And I suppose if we're fair, Solomon really does labour this point throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, talking of the pursuit of money and material goods, he says some very wise words in uh, chapter 5 and at verse 10. And uh, he says there, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with abundance. And again, I'm sure we've all seen this. We probably know somebody whose sole purpose in life is to amass more and more money, more and more material possessions. But they're never satisfied. Even though they have plenty, they still want more and more. Perhaps they're really tight in their spending patterns because of this lust for money. But they are never satisfied does it bring them any, any pleasure? Well, chapter 4, verse 11, Solomon says, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? So people may amass a lot of money and goods, but what joy do they derive from them except for the satisfaction of looking at a, shall we say, a collection of china, some nice furniture, or some nice paintings stuck on the walls of their houses? But do they sleep in their beds at night? Solomon says in verse 12, The sleep of a labouring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit them to sleep. If a man has a prized art collection in his house, or 
a lot of expensive possessions, he's scared of the thief coming and stealing them all. And this is particularly so if his prized possessions are the, his sole purpose in life, his pride and joy, the very reason for his existence. And Solomon says that, again, this is vanity, this is emptiness, it's nothing, it's like grasping for the winds. So we've talked, therefore, of the emptiness of life. We've discussed the fact that it's useless for a man to make his purpose in life the pursuit of wealth or material goods or alcohol or drugs. Equally useless is a life of hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure as an end in itself. What then does Solomon say is the correct way to lead our lives? Well, in the middle chapters of this book, Solomon does give a lot of practical advice on daily living, but the conclusion he gives is found in the uh, final chapters of the book. And in these final chapters, he makes it very clear to us that the only certain thing in life is that we will die. Uh, chapter 9, verse 6, verse, verses 5 and 6, makes the following statements. He says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So we all know that the day will come when we will die. We don't know when that will be, or how or in what circumstances it will occur. But once we die, we have no consciousness. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not talk of an immortal soul. Once we die, that is the end of our consciousness. Solomon says the dead know nothing. The memory of them is forgotten. We are buried in the earth and people forget all about us. Solomon says that because of this, we must carry out our labour and do it to the best of our ability. He says, um, in verse 9, he says, Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which she has given you unto the sun all the days of vanity. For that is your portion in life, and in the labour which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Well, as an aside, did you notice the first part of verse 9? Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. Well, that's a departure from the philosophy of this world. One wife for all our lives. Today they tell us that if our marriage isn't working, then split up, find somebody else. But we need to work at marriage, not give up so easily. And of course, Solomon knew all about this. He had... 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. He tried out having many wives for himself, but at the end of his days, Solomon's advice is to have one wife for life and to work at marriage, not to flit from one to another as he had done, and indeed as is the trend in our world today. But speaking of the fact that we all die, he says more in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where he says, um, in verse 1 of 12, he says, 
Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you shall, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. Yes, old age does come, and when life gets very difficult, we don't enjoy life the same, because our bodies are failing, and they don't function the same. Uh, verse 3 talks of the strong men bowing down. We aren't as strong or as erect as we used to be. Our backs become stooped and we walk crookedly, perhaps with the aid of a walking stick. Verse 3 also mentions the, the grinders ceasing because they are few. Our teeth rot and they fall out. We don't have as many as we used to have. We can't chew our food properly. But again, verse 3 speaks of those that look through the windows growing dim. Our eyesight is not what it used to be. We can't see the same as we did when we were much younger. Yes, old age comes upon us and our bodies fail. Life isn't at all enjoyable as it used to be because we don't have the same uh, faculties as we did in our younger years. Eventually, we die and we are no more. All of life is vanity, says Solomon. In fact, he says it's more than that. Uh, verse 8 of this 12th chapter says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Emptiness of emptiness. Life is emptiness. Life is nothing. It's like grasping for the wind. It's like the hot air from the kettle that dissipates into the atmosphere. We live our lives, we go to the grave. Whatever wealth we have amassed, well, we can't take it with us. There are no pockets in shrouds, as they say. If we are famous, it counts for nothing. We are soon forgotten. If we are a popular person, then perhaps a lot of people may come to our funeral, but they go away and in time they forget all about us. We may have our names on a headstone, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything to people in future years. So Solomon says in verse 13 of this um, last chapter, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The only way in life is to fear God. That doesn't mean to be afraid of God, but to recognize God in our lives, to observe him in all that we do, and devote our lives to his service. If we follow the things in life which man deems to be important, then we will live our lives and we will die, and that's the end of things. But if we devote our lives to serving God and keeping his commandments, then that is the way which leads to life. And Jesus truly said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this is a theme which is going to be developed in the next uh, few weeks uh, from the um, Bible talks given here. We need to follow the example of Jesus, we need to be baptised into his saving name as a public confession of our faith and then lead our lives according to the principles which he has laid down to us in God's word, the Bible. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return to this earth to establish the kingdom of God. At that time, if we have committed ourselves to Jesus and followed him faithfully, he will give us everlasting life in his kingdom. Life in that kingdom will be one of quality. It will not be like the life which Solomon described as 
vanity as grasping for the winds, but rather it will be a life which never ends, which has no suffering, no sickness. It will be one in which there will be equality and righteousness for all. And we pray that that time may soon come upon us when Jesus shall return and God's kingdom will be established. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.